Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. The Word of the Lord. I want to talk a little bit about confidence today. You ever met a truly confident person? I, uh, I, uh, I haven't, or I'm not one. Even though I put off this very confident facade, I'm actually a very shy person. It's true. And I remember asking my wife out for a date. I was a little bit nervous because I didn't know, you know. And so it's important that you, uh, you know, have some lessons in what true confidence is, right? And so I went on the internet, that great all-seeing eye in the sky, and I looked at the ten personality traits of a confident person. So if you want to be confident, here we go. Number one, self-assured. Confident people believe in themselves, and they believe that their life fulfills a special purpose in the world. They know their strengths and have accepted their weaknesses. Notice how I start to talk in a Tony Robbins way here. Ambitious Confident people know what they want. They easily define their goals and strive to achieve them. They could be the most significant person of a confident person. Competitive. Confident people love competition. They love to test their mettle against the best efforts of others because they believe they can win even when they lose. That's a great line right there. The ten personality traits of a confident person. I don't know if you're a confident person, but a confident person is self-assured. They believe in themselves. And we live in a world where self-assured people are what everybody's looking for. I don't know if you've read this book, uh, The Power of Quiet. It was out by Harvard Business Press. Very interesting in how our world is about extroverts. It's about people that can come out. And this person who was an introvert was in Harvard Business School. And they were constantly telling people, go be in a social. Go be confident. Look self-assured. Because when you are self-assured, people will come to believe in you. The truth is there are not a whole lot of assurances in life, are there? Whether personal or whether physical. Anybody have a mortgage? Anyone know what the word uh, mortgage comes from? Mortier, until death. And for some of you, your mortgage feels like death right now, right? I had assurances when I bought the thing, it was here. But for some reason, it's evaporated and now it's here. Few assurances in life, are there? That solid job that looked like it was fantastic and everything come together and then all of a sudden. I remember, does anyone remember the dot-com craze? I was part of the dot-com craze, you know? At that time, you could be a 20-something year old and, and be the man. So I came in as the director of business development for a company called Christianity.com. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Christianity and commercial. Nevertheless, dot-com... And so I'm in here, and one of the things they start talking with you about is stock options. Okay, remember stock options where these people were, you know, there was an IPO, and voila, you know, somebody's a gazillionaire because they had the stock options. So I've got these stock options for this company. They're going to take it public, 50,000 stock options. And I began talking and thinking with my buddy about all of the things that I was going to get. You know, what's wrong with a small commuter plane? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you know, a small house in Milan, perhaps, you know, a couple of things. I was assured. 
dot-com crashed, and I tried to line the birdcage with these stock options, but even the birds did not want them because they weren't worth anything. We live our life, if we're honest, without a lot of assurances. Certainly assurance in ourselves. But what if you could live life with assurance? Irregardless of the circumstances and the environment, what if you could walk with the confidence, not in yourself, not in things, but rather in the one who made you? What if you could walk with confidence that the mortgage that you had with the one who made you was until death? See, the truth of the matter is, my friends, if you are a Christian, you can be certain about God, because God is certain about you. And as Christians, we can be the most assured, confident people in the planet. That's what John is saying right here, isn't he? If you remember, some folks have come into this church, and then they have left. They have spread these lies that Jesus isn't enough. There's more that he has to do. That his death and resurrection on the cross wasn't enough. And so they're left without assurances in this God who they were so certain. And Paul reassures them by telling them three specific things in this passage. Number one, God himself gives you assurances. Number two, God gives you access to the throne room of God. And number three, even more than assurances, and even more than access, God gives us Himself. You can be confident and certain about God, my friends, because God is certain about you. Well, let's break this thing down. The first point, God gives us assurances. Notice John 3, 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth, and reassure our heart before Him. Now, whenever you see a by this, you've got to look, uh, you know, back to the passage that was before, which says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love in word or deed, but talk, but not, uh, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, what he's saying is, by the way that you are living, you can have assurance in your heart before Him. See, we know love, and we love because Christ knows love. Remember, by this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. In other words, to be born of God is to love like God. Anyone remember Forrest Gump, that great philosopher? You know, stupid is as stupid does. Love is as love does. How I live is a reflection of who I am from the inside out. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it, that the greatest commandment would be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And your neighbor as yourself. Because God is love. He loves, He gives down His life. And if we are Christians, this has somehow come into our life, into our bodies, so that we do the same. It says, by this, this love that we have for others, we know we are of the truth. We are of God. You know, so we should examine ourselves. This passage is helping us to take a look inside to see who are we really born of. 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So by this we know we are of the truth, and this will reassure our heart before Him. You know, at the end of the day, there's only one person that we have to have our heart reassured before, isn't it? It's not your spouse. It's not your employer. 
It's not the world. You know, we all have a judge and a jury that we stand before. But the only person that we have to have reassurance in our heart before is God. Because He is the one that tells us who we are and whether we're accepted or not. There's a lot of us, I, I get to counsel a lot of folks in my job. And it's interesting, some people I deal with as they get older, sometimes deal with these issues. I feel, I wonder if my life was really worth anything. I wonder if it amounts to much. You know, I really didn't make my name in society or make my name in my job. I look around at my relationships. I feel like I've led a useless life. But what John is saying is that the most important thing we can do is have our heart reassured before Him. And so we must see, is there love in our hearts? But it keeps on going. 1 John 3.20 For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. See, we have to ask the question, our heart reassures us, but sometimes our heart condemns us. What happens when we look at our life and we see I have not loved? What happens when we look at our life and we realize, you know what, I haven't looked too different from a person that doesn't love God at all. Sometimes we can feel like we're on a spiritual roller coaster with God. When we're good, we have reassurance in our hearts, and when we're bad, we live in this uncertainty. But notice that God's reassurance of us is more important than our assurance of ourselves. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. See, whenever my heart turns on me and says, you are not acceptable, you are not worthy, there is no standing, you have no standing in yourself, we discover that God is greater than our heart. God's greater than your emotions, He's greater than your failures, He's greater than your uncertainties. My heart is subjective and it's broken, but God is objective and He's whole. And so what does He do when our hearts condemn us? God is greater than our hearts. He not sees my actions, He sees myself. And He knows everything. God knows my heart. He knows that I live if I'm a Christian in a way that often I don't like. You know why there's such difficulty? Being a Christian is hard. You know, when I, before I was a Christian, I liked doing these certain things and it didn't bother me. But now as a Christian, it does. I have this ideal given to me in Scripture, indeed even my conscience about how I'm supposed to live. And often I come up short. But God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. He knows your heart. When your heart condemns you, God reassures you. When you don't know yourself, God does. When you feel like you've blown it, God says, I love you. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done for you. I don't know if you remember the movie Saving Private Ryan. Pretty interesting movie. Tom Hanks was in it. He was Captain John Miller. And the whole story is that there's these three brothers, and two of them have died, and there's one left, Private Ryan. And so they say, we, we can't have this last son die of this family. We've got to go find him. And so Captain Miller and seven other guys are deployed to go deep into enemy territory to find Private Ryan. Private Ryan, one of the guys, turns to Captain 
You want to explain this math to this, uh, this to me? I mean, what's the sense in risking the lives of eight of us to save one guy? But Captain Miller says, we're going to go do it. This is what God has called us to do. And so you remember, they go behind enemy lines, they finally find, they lose several men, and uh, they get to Private Ryan. But Private Ryan says, I'm not coming home until we defend this bridge. And so Captain Miller says, all right, we're going to stand with you. Remember at the very end, they had this battle. Captain Miller is, is I'm probably ruined it for some of you, but he's, he's been shot, he's going to die. And right before he dies, he grabs Private Ryan and he says, earn this. In other words, the lives that have been lost for you prove that you have earned this, their sacrifice. And then at the very end, when he's sitting there, uh, Private Ryan is an old man, he's looking at the tombstone of Captain Miller, he turns to his wife and he says this, Did I live a good life? In other words, was it worth it, this sacrifice? Did I earn it? See, that's the way we live in life. Did I earn it? Did I live a good life? But the gospel is entirely different than what Captain Miller said. Because it was God who risked the life of His Son to come and find us and bring us home. You know, you want to explain this math to me? I mean, what's the sense of risking the Son of God to go and rescue one man or one woman? But God came and found us. And much like Captain Miller, Jesus Christ sacrificed his life. But the end of his life, as he has given his life for us on the cross, he does not say, earn this. He says, it is finished. Jesus, I have earned this for you. You're not condemned because I have approved you. I have finished your life. He doesn't say, go and earn this. He says, believe in my gift and love your brother as I have loved you. See, Jesus was condemned so our heart would not be. Jesus knows our lives because he knows who's with us, the Son of God. And if we're worth it for Jesus himself to die for us, we can have assurance in our heart that despite the screwed up, messed up things we do and people we are, God is greater than our heart. See, we can have confidence in God because God has confidence in us. Well, this brings me to my second point, that if God gives us assurances, God also gives us access. 1 John 3, 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Now this, many people would say, is the magic bullet of Scripture. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him. This is fantastic, you know, God is like this celestial candy machine in the sky, you know, you just got to know which button to push, and whatever you get, whatever you ask for, you receive. And truth be told, this has shipwrecked a lot of people. I came to God and He said He would give whatever we receive. In fact, He even says that He would give whatever we ask for because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. See, we already know the fact that we don't always keep His commandments. That we haven't earned this. And so the point of what the Scripture is saying here is that our relationship with God is not a transaction. It's not a tit for tat. I give, 
you give. I earn, you recognize. See, what we receive is a relationship with God. Love that picture. Remember John F. Kennedy with his little boy, you know, and they're in the, uh, you know, they're in the Oval Office, this great place of power, and I forget which little John, what was his name? He's playing there under the desk in the most powerful place in the world, and he's just hanging out there because he has access. Pity the father who will give the son or the daughter anything they ask for. I'm so thankful. My kids ask me for stuff all the time. If I gave it to them, they would kill them. No, we're talking about a relationship. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments. So what are these things that we receive from God? We receive response from Him. He hears us. We receive recognition from Him. He knows us. And we receive access. The power to come into His presence, His throne room any time. You know, think about this. Truth be told, you and I are beggars. You know, all we are, people have said, Christianity is just a beggar telling another, I know where the bread is. And if we went with our own self before the throne room of God, what would happen? Think about the throne room of God for a second. Think about the biggest palace you've ever seen. The most power, the most glory, the most beauty. You know, and every palace has guards, right? And so guarding this are the cherubim, not, not the cute little fuzzy things you see on a, on a, on a Christmas card. These are the, the soldiers that can wipe you out with just a glance. And here comes this beggar walking before the doors of God, and the cherubim are there ready to vaporize him. And the beggar simply says just these words I come in the name of Jesus. And there goes the swords, and there goes the door, because this one comes in the name of Jesus. So it is with our King if you are a Christian. We can come and have access into the throne room of God because we come in the name of Jesus. The scriptures in Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This throne of grace which is for you and me, and for all those who believe in Jesus Christ is access through His name. I wonder... If we really lived life like we had access to God, how life would be different. You know, I find myself wanting to go a lot of places, but not as much to be in the throne room of God. But the scriptures say that it's very, it's true. It's by faith that when we by prayer come, that we are there in the throne room of God. And one day, the way we live by faith, we will live by sight. 1 John 3, 23, and this is the command, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and one another, just as He has commanded us. See, the reason we please Him is not because of our works, but because of our belief. Remember the, the bread? Jesus feeds 5,000 people, and they all come, and you know they say, where have you come? And Jesus said, you're just looking for more bread. And He says, look... Don't trust in earthly bread, but in bread which the Son of Man will give you. And they said, what are these works we must do that God would give us this heavenly bread? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe. To believe in His righteousness, His forgiveness. But a belief that doesn't translate into love is no belief at all. 
It's a sham. Because the belief of being close to God, of experiencing His forgiveness and love, it must spill out of us, friends. It must spill out of the way that we love one another, imperfectly, but nonetheless part of who we are. Translates into love. You know, think about this access. I don't know if you remember as a kid. Uh, you ever going to see Santa? Okay? Santa, you know, you go to Santa and he's at the mall. Okay? Makes sense. He's accessible to the people, to the kids. Some parents are getting a little nervous right now, aren't you? No, we, we ignore it. So you come to see Santa. And, you know, the question, once I would come to Santa's lap and sit on his lap, was, have you been a good boy? And the answer, of course, I say is, of course I've been a good boy. But what if Santa said, well, actually what we've been doing is recording your innermost thoughts all year. And so let's take a look at the tape, roll tape. And lo and behold, my life was played before Santa. The frustration and anger with my sister as I used to jump on her and pummel her. <laughs> my frustration, okay, okay, I she did used to pummel me, and then I got bigger with her, okay? It took one time, and that was it. I'm not bitter. I'm better. Um, <laughs> you know, all of my life is paraded before, and Santa's looking at it, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? Have you been a good boy? No, no. No presents for you. See, we see God in that way, don't we? I can go into the throne room, but have you been a good boy? Jesus is in that throne room standing next to me. And as I go into that throne room, he says, Ah, my son, I've been waiting for you. And he's not talking about Jesus. He's talking about you. Have you been a good... He doesn't even ask it. Why? Because we come in the name of Jesus. We have access into his courts. You belong in the house of God if you are a Christian. You may think to yourself, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a beggar. You know, if we played the tape of my life before God and there was a judgment, I would not stand. My list is too long. The one that he's checking twice to find out if I'm naughty or nice. But the love of Christ, the hope of the gospel, the belief I have in him, the expression of it, of love, proves who I am and gives me access into the court. So I want to urge and exhort you, go there. Go without trepidation into the presence of God. Go under the desk in the Oval Office and dare to call God your Father. Dare to be blessed and recognized in the throne room of God. You can have confidence in God because God is confident in you. So walk in full assurance of His love. So God has given us access. He's given us assurance. But finally, He's given us Himself. 1 John 3, 24. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit that He has given us. See, this is what's amazing about the gospel. You know, it's one thing to go into the throne room of God. It's another for God to come into the space of my heart. See, the throne room's been washed. It's been polished. It's gold everywhere. It's gleaming. It's beautiful. There's no spot of dirt. 
But the scriptures say that not only do I abide in God, but God abides in me through His Holy Spirit. That can only mean one thing. That God has sanctified me. That He's washed me. That He has taken that which is ugly and He's made it beautiful. God not only says, come near to me, but He says, I want to come near to you. Isn't that Jesus? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will give you a counsel. The Holy Spirit will come in my name. See, the proof of who we are is the fact that we have a God who lives in us who is transforming us from the inside out. The love that He has for us is flowing out. Wherever you go, there He is. If you go into the depths of the sea, He is there. If you go into the highest part of the heavens, if you go as far as the east, is from the west. The presence of God is with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Right now on this earth, my friends, you have a throne. It's right here. He resides right here. And if you are a Christian, if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can access the presence of God right here in your own house with no glitter, no shininess, no perfectness, just myself. Come as you are. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. You know, Christianity is either of total importance or of no importance at all. The things that I have shared with you today are so astounding you may think that they can't be true. But the gospel is scandalous. The gospel is dangerous. The gospel is beautiful. God gives us the thing that we most want out of life. Assurance that God loves us. And so receive His assurance, my friends. As you read the scriptures and hear the words I preach, receive access to the throne room of God. And finally, receive His presence in your heart. And wait with joyful expectation when all of us together will enter into the true throne room of God and we will hear the words, Well done, with the faithful servant. I have given you my Son, and you have been faithful. Love Him. By God's grace, let that be us. Let us pray. God, we're just a bunch of beggars, no where the bread is. Lord, I pray for people in the congregation, some who may have not trusted in you, Jesus, and have bowed their knee to you as Lord and Savior, that indeed they would do so, that they could have confidence that the God of the universe loves them, that they could have confidence that they are forgiven, that they could have confidence that they could access the very throne room of God and sit at your feet without fear, Rather than to experience your love, help us to believe the scandal of the gospel, Lord. Help us to walk as many throne rooms, savoring your grace and your presence. We believe in you, Jesus, that your death and resurrection is enough to transform broken beggars like us into sons and daughters of God. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.